You're listening to episode number 36 of the Fit Successful Dad Podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 36. Thank you so much for joining us. And today, I'm going to talk about the importance of prototyping. And as simple as that might sound, it's actually a little bit more complicated than you might think. And it's often something that a lot of people overlook. And especially if you're just starting out, it's really easy to kind of like look way too far ahead too quickly and not really spend a lot of time or even enough time in the prototyping, sampling and rework phases of building something. So this is something that's directly applicable to you if you are trying to build um, like maybe a commodity business, you know, something on Amazon only and you don't care about what it is. All you care about is making money. And that's a whole separate conversation, by the way. <laughs> but we've talked about the whys and stuff uh, at length. But if you're just trying to make income and you know that there's a demand in some area and you know and understand that it may be even short term, you know, and may not be a long term thing, but you just want to make uh, just some money quickly by pushing a product that you know is going to sell. The demand is high and the price is right. Uh, there's obviously a market for that. And we've talked about how to get started in something like that. And one of the first steps in that whole process, once you figure out what that product is, is to request samples from a supplier, whether that supplier is local or that supplier is international somewhere like China, uh, you would request samples. And that is not a prototype. So there's a, a big difference between a prototype and a sample. Now, if you are selling just a commodity thing and you're buying a product that already exists and you're literally changing nothing about it, then you probably don't need prototypes and you can just buy the product and put it up um, you know, on your market of choice, Amazon or your e-commerce store, whatever it is, and sell it from there. However, if you are building something that has customized features to it, let's say you're building a brand from scratch, and this is something I can relate to because I've done it now twice, and I'm in the process of doing it for a third time on a much bigger scale. And the prototyping phase is a, it's the phase where you really convey and articulate and demonstrate what you're trying to build to your supplier or suppliers, and you make drawing after drawing after drawing. Maybe you're skilled enough or maybe you pay somebody to do that in uh, like a CAD type of program or um, like SolidWorks or some kind of 3D modeling software. Uh, or maybe you just draw it by hand, literally on paper and scan that in and send that, you know, over by email or whatever. So that, you know, that's, that's one way of doing it. And that's kind of step one is getting all of those details on paper or in some kind of digital file and having that sent over to the supplier. And then begins this dialogue. And this is where a lot of people fall off. Okay, so a lot of people will go through that first phase, they'll draw something they think it's really cool, or they'll have a graphic designer draw something to their requirements, and they'll, they'll think it's awesome. Uh, they might even make a tweak or two, you know, to get to their quote unquote, final version, send that off to their supplier, and their supplier will build something to those requirements to that drawing and to those those models and they'll send it over for approval and just because you don't feel like waiting another two three four weeks for the churn of another revision you will a lot of people will will just accept it as is and almost always that first version is not what you wanted 
It's not exactly what you had pictured. It's not exactly meeting the requirements that you had in your head, even though the requirements that you put down on paper might be, you know, how you thought it should be. And maybe the supplier followed them to a T, right? And they did everything that you asked them to do. And it's still not quite perfect. There's a, a back and forth and a almost like a, a demonstration of, of clarification and articulating the exact thing that you're picturing in your head to your supplier. Like that is the communication component. And that is so difficult, but also so absolutely critically important to get right uh, that, you know, that is what will get you your final product that you're looking for and the final product that you think or maybe you've already demonstrated and validated um, it'll, the final product that your market is looking for, right? your target audience. So the prototyping phase is usually very long and the longer it takes and the more back and forth, uh, I'd say that you, in the more back and forth sessions that you have with your supplier probably will produce the better product in the end. Now I come from an engineering background where a lot of times there'll be like one or two revisions and then it's punt and, you know, like make drawing changes so that you can revise again in the future to make enhancements down the road or fix this mistake down the road. That is something that <laughs> there's a delicate balance because that's a good thing to do because you do want to get something out into the market, but you don't want to get a piece of crap out into the market. So when I say don't, don't speed up or expedite the prototyping phase I mean, when it comes down to the base functionality and the primary aesthetics of this thing that you're selling, uh, and, and like just the overall, I guess, overall quality of the thing that you're trying to build, do not accelerate the prototyping phase so that these, to the point where these things get overlooked just to have something in the market. The things that can get overlooked or the things that can be kind of pushed down the road for a future revision are things like minor tweaks to the logo or using maybe, you know, an extra uh, piece of material here or there or, you know, sewing this thing on there or using di this different color type of thing. Like those very basic things, if it's something made out of plastic, you know, maybe try, you know, like an ABS versus a, a, you know, like a PE or an FEP or something type of plastic. Like there's just these really, you know, like I won't say minor changes, but things that don't affect the functionality to the point where you can't sell it at this time. So, you know, revisions, will, they'll ba basically be infinite and it's important to understand that you'll con you'll, if you're, if you're really truly uh, interested in success, you'll always be willing to change, adapt, upgrade, enhance. A lot of that will be based on the audience and what they come back with after using it. You know, they're, they're the end users. So their feedback is important and you want to retain them as customers and you also want to use them as leverage and, uh, like the, the viral component, uh, for your business by, by producing future sales with them and also collecting sales from people they know personally, letting them spread the, the word of mouth of, of your business. So when it comes to prototyping, again, to circle back around, you know, don't overlook the importance of it. Prototyping is something that's very important. If it takes you a month or two or three months to get the prototype just right, but that prototype will lead you to hundreds or thousands of sales, then that's okay. And that's, that's a good thing. That's what you should be doing. 
now me personally, I have done both. I've been on both ends. So I have expedited, you know, punted the initial prototype on one of my products. And the result is that I got feedback from my customers that was less than desirable, right? It was, uh, it was you know, them saying, oh, you know, I don't really like this about it. Uh, you could have changed this. And, you know, this thing's a little, this is something that uh, is worn, by the way, this this particular um, product. And it's like, oh, it's too it's too tight here. Um, and, you know, this, this piece of it's a little bit too long. Uh, it's not really practical because it's too long kind of thing. So um, these are things that I could have and should have figured out by going through one or two more phases of prototyping. So the product that I'm building now and the brand that I'm building, I'm on my third phase of prototyping and I don't think it'll go to a fourth, but it might. And, you know, I have a list of things that I would include in the fourth phase. Uh, the things that I plan on putting in that fourth phase of prototyping or that fourth wave of production changes is are things that aren't going to affect it functionally. They're just minor things that I've found. Now, I'm so close to the product that I'm constantly, you know, I know more about it than anybody else. So I'm constantly looking at all these details that most people probably aren't going to notice unless they spend an intimate amount of time with this product. And it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of uh, similar to if you own a house or, you know, if you have a, uh, a place, you know, a residence where you can paint, you know, and, and, and make changes to and whatever, you know, you're always going to notice like that brush stroke on the wall or that issue with the, the trim or something, you know, little tiny things that no one else that doesn't live there is going to notice or care about, but because you're there every day and you see it every day, a hundred times, it's always on your mind when you walk through the room and you always see it and you always think about it and it always, you know, pisses you off. And so prototyping, making your own product is just like that. You know, it's your, it's your baby. So you're going to notice every little flaw. And when a production run comes through and it's different, slightly different, like maybe they used, a newer updated piece of tooling on their machinery and it resulted in a slightly different stitching pattern or a slightly different, like, um, I don't know the way that the edges of a piece of plastic are made or something like you'll notice everything about the product, the more time you spend with it. So the prototyping phase is great because you get to figure all these things out. So once again, where I'm at with this third phase of prototyping is I'm about to receive my third uh, and, and what I hope is my final prototype before I take this thing to a crowdfunding campaign. And this was not a case of just getting a sample of something that the, the supplier already made and then making like one or two minor tweaks to it. No, this was getting a sample and then changing it heavily, radically redesigning the thing so that, you know, the sa the sample really had nothing to do with it at all. Um, I just used it as kind of a foundation. And then I changed literally every single thing about it <laughs> to the point where it no longer even resembles the sample. So um, again, the difference between prototyping and sampling is that you get a sample of something, which is a product that the supplier already makes. And you can go ahead and sell that sample chances are there's hundreds or thousands of other people already doing that. So if you have any interest in differentiating yourself to gather more sales, you know, just taking something that someone else already makes and selling it is going to be extremely difficult. Uh, that's, you know, kind of like the commodity based thing. If you are building a new brand or building a new product line or something, that's where 
uh, the prototyping phases come in. And the, the overall message here is that take it from someone who has tried both and failed at one and succeeded at one and failed at the other and succeeded at the other is that you really want to spend some time on the prototyping phase. So it doesn't make any sense to get too wrapped up in you know, whether or not you should be prototyping or sampling and how many times to prototype and how many times you need to rework and how you're going to validate it and do all these things. Uh, I can walk you through the way I did it. Uh, but I think before you even get to that point, it's just kind of think about, and maybe you've already done this, so maybe this is redundant. But if you haven't, you know, maybe the, now is the time to think about what is it that you are doing or what is it that you want to do? And, you know, we could talk about why, but it's really, what are you doing? So if you already have it figured out and you know exactly what you're doing, like you want to drop ship a bunch of products that you have already sampled into, and you want to put them into the, you know, multiple online marketplaces and do that and generate passive income or, well, it's not really passive, but generate income on the side and do that kind of part-time. Great. You kind of already have that figured out and you probably don't need to do any prototyping. If you are building something a little bit different and you have this long-term vision for creating a brand with multiple products and you want to start with one or two and eventually add one or two more and then one or two more and potentially have a huge online store, you know, with a huge uh, product offering and you want to have a social media presence and you want to do all that, that whole thing then it's imperative that you, seriously, it's imperative that you have the prototyping done and that you have all of the major kinks worked out up front. So I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse here, going over and over and over again. And I am not an expert in any of this stuff, but I've lived through it. And I want anybody who's listening to this to also understand, you know, just some of the pains that I've gone through. I've lost thousands of dollars by not being thorough and not being diligent on my upfront prototyping, you know, leaving a, a couple of hundred dollars in my pocket for not going through another wave of prototyping and, and upgrades and enhancement uh, has led to the loss of a, a bunch of sales. And that's just the way it is. That's part of the learning. That's part of the experience that I went through. So hopefully that's something you can take away from this conversation and use it in your implementation strategy so that you know, can iron out all these details in the beginning and not go through some of the pains that I went through. Uh, but if you find yourself in that situation, just understand that it's an experience and you're going to learn from it and you're going to learn what not to do going forward. So just keep that in mind. Now, one of the things you might be wondering is, you know, how much prototyping should I be doing? How much testing should I be doing? And how do I know like a way to really do a, a hard test on this thing, on this product? You know, I don't know what I don't know, in other words. <laughs> and those are all really good questions. And those are things that, again, you learn by doing. But in general, you know, you want to take your product, and this is what I did, um, and uh, I, it's very clear now the ones that I didn't do this to are the ones that didn't do so well. And the ones that I did, the products that I did do this to are the ones that did well. Uh, you want to take your product or what I did, I guess, is, is I took my product and after I got it, I allowed people to, to take 
the product and put it through the ringer however they saw fit, basically. So after receiving the product, I gave away a good handful of them. And I said, hey, guys, take this thing and use it like you normally would and just beat it up and put it through all the stresses and all the strains that you would probably put this through under normal circumstances and then go a little bit above and beyond. Go a little bit harder. Go a little bit more aggressive on this thing and just kind of throw it around instead of placing it down carefully, you know reveal all the flaws in this and write them all down and give it give that feedback back to me and in exchange you can keep the product for free and then uh you know in some cases i said oh you know once i implement the changes on the final design i will give you another one and you can go ahead and keep that as well so it was a win-win and you know that that strategy that worked really really well for me and i think that's going to work really well for anyone now if you try to kind of do all the testing yourself all the stress testing yourself um chances are you're going to baby it a little bit more than probably someone who doesn't have an attachment to the product and even if you think you're not i don't know for me anyway there was this there was this like inherent kind of protective way that I was handling the product so that, you know, I almost subconsciously didn't want it to break. And I subconsciously didn't want to reveal any failures or flaws, you know? So, uh, what I recommend is that you take this product and you, whatever it is, and you give away several of them to people who, you know, or people you don't know, but maybe, you know, someone you connected with, uh, and, 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 and have them go at it with an unbiased view and just say, beat this thing up, write down all the feedback that you might have for me and give it back to me. And I will go ahead and implement that stuff and, uh, or not, you know, but at least you'll have the feedback. You'll understand what's working, what's not working. And you're kind of treating these people as like end users. So the end users are always going to be the people that find the most bugs. And one way I can compare that, one thing I can compare that to is like software, for example. So if you've ever gotten, you know, a brand new computer, chances are within the few weeks or months of getting the computer, there's going to be some big operating system update. You know, I've seen this on Apple. I've seen this on PCs, you know, windows based stuff. And the reason for that, and I know this because I'm also in the engineering field. The reason for that is that the end user is the one who finds all the bugs. They're the ones who really use it in a way that the engineers, the software guys, they just can't replicate it. Uh, the, the test environment, versus the real world environment are so different and they're just, it's not able to be modeled. So the same thing goes with whatever product you're building. You know, you could build a product and it could be awesome in your tests and your stress testing and, uh, you know, the harsh environment that you put it through. But once you get it out into the hands of an end user, you know, they paid money for it. So they have expectations and they treat it differently than the way you treat it. And they do things, you know, with it that, you know, they probably wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't ad- advertised as, or maybe something you didn't think about testing in that way or something, uh, you know, they're going to reveal flaws and defects and, and they're going to also at the, you know, alternatively, they're going to find benefits that you probably didn't think of as well, but they're going to find out all this information for you and all the reviews and the feedback and things that you get from those people. That's going to be your bread and butter for making the best possible product. And you can only get there by doing all of the necessary upfront testing and beating up of the product to, to weed out all those issues um, upfront. So you know, that's critical. 
So before I wrap up this episode, I, I want to share one quick story of something that's related, it's relevant to this, and I think that you can get a lot of value out of this. It's a it's a story of someone I know personally who owns a gym, and this person uh, who runs the gym, uh, along with a few other people, they allowed a, uh, a vendor to come in, but this this isn't just any vendor, this isn't like a distributor, this particular vendor that came in, you know, they, they're kind of trying to uh, revolutionize certain things in the fitness industry. They're trying to create certain new products that have some kind of next level development to it. And uh, what they did was they came in and they set up just kind of like a table uh, with their products on it. And they had a whole bunch of new stuff that wasn't really, it wasn't totally like released on the market just yet, but they were getting ready to. And what they did was they went up to and let people come up to them, but they went up to people, all the members of the gym who were coming and going throughout the day. And they said, Hey, would you please try these, you know, while you're here for free during your workout, um, try them, you know, use them, abuse them. And then please give us some feedback at the end of your workout, you know, when you're all done. I want to know, you know, maybe what you liked about it, what you hated about it, and what you think would make it better. What do you, what you think would make it something that would be like significantly helpful for you during your workouts? And I thought this was awesome because that is what is going to set that particular company apart from everyone else who's just having their fitness stuff made overseas by some factory who already has a catalog and they're just kind of like private labeling them. You know, getting that feedback directly from the end user and then taking that feedback and incorporating it into a future design, you know, with all these enhancements into it, uh, that is what's going to sell. And I think the big takeaway here is that if you can connect with your audience and if you can connect with the portion of the market that is into the thing that you're building, you are going to be able to not only have that relationship with them because you're asking them for feedback, but then you're going to actually listen, take that stuff, take that information, put it into the next revision of your product, and then release it to them. It's basically going back to that that age-old thing that's so simple that so many people forget, which is find a group of people that have a problem, you know, ask them and determine what the problem is, and then make something that fixes that problem. Bang, simple. You know, serve the customer what they want, you know, and figure out what that thing is, serve it to them, and generate that relationship and all of a sudden you have a customer and an audience and your own little market for a long period of time so uh with you know that's that story just kind of resonated with me and i think that it will resonate with anybody who is building something and has that kind of entrepreneurial thing it's just to kind of understand a little bit one of the methods that you know one company was able to to do to kind of like get not only good, honest feedback from the end user, but also it's another way to like really, really get a huge sample size or potentially a huge sample size of like test results, you know, uh, just to kind of circle back around to talking about stress testing and having people that aren't yourself testing these things. Well, if you have a handful of these, you can go out to where people in that market are hanging out, give them the product to use for you know, while they're there and have them test it, you know, they're going to abuse it a little bit 
and they're going to do things to it that you probably wouldn't do. And you're going to get all that data right there, you know, and it's just, uh, it's just, it's just another, another way to think about it. You know, you can get creative, uh, but all these things are really important. So, um, you know, with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode, but just going forward, if you are building something, do not underestimate the power of getting that kind of data from the end users who are testing it and do not skimp out on the prototyping phase and don't be afraid to go through one, two, three, four, five, you know, multiple iterations of revision and rework and enhancement and updates before you release that final product. Because when that final product comes out, it doesn't have to be perfect, but you want it to be really, really, really good right? You don't want to release something that is going to fall short and, uh, you know, end up kind of like setting a bad tone for your brand from day one. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this episode. And since we're on the subject of getting feedback and getting data and getting responses, I would love for you to go to iTunes and leave me a review. And it doesn't have to be five stars, but I would love to hear your feedback and hear what you like about the podcast, what you hate about the podcast, if anything, and maybe throw some ideas and recommendations on what you think you would like to hear in the future, you know, what would make it better. All that stuff would be super important to me. I would really appreciate it. So thank you guys for everything and for your time, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Take care.